the calling of God is performative and effective in our lives. When he calls your name, it works. You answer and you have no choice but to respond in repentance and faith before the God of the universe. When God calls your name, he creates and awakens faith in your heart that was a heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. You're listening to Reformed Womanhood with Anna Walker, where we seek to reform the lives of women in all ages and stages with the truth of the Bible. Welcome to the Reformed Womanhood podcast, where we go verse by verse through scripture together. We are currently in 2 Peter, and if you'd like to continue your own personal study of this book, go to reformedwomanhood.com and there you can download the free Bible study, which will help you understand the text and apply it in a personally relevant way. I want to remind us of why Peter is writing before we get into 2 Peter 1, 8 through 15, which is our text for today. As I was studying this passage, I found myself thinking, why is there so much urgency, so many imperatives, so much boldness in Peter's words? The answer, I think, is partly because of Peter's overall message, his overall concern for these believers, his concern for their potential to buy into the cheap promises that the false teachers in chapter two are going to try to sell them. And so we get all of chapter one, all of this urgency and intentionality and all the words like make every effort and be all the more diligent because their eternity and our eternity is on the line. Peter is saying, this is not the little leagues. This is not a game. If you lose, you do not get another chance. You do not get to Pasco. You do not collect $200. We have all this urgency and intentionality because friend, you do not want to be apart from Christ when eternity comes. Thus, Peter is saying, I am saying to you, make sure, make sure that you have been truly saved. And this is a heavy message. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I pray that my words would be pleasing to you, that you would keep me from anything that would distract or distort your gospel message, and that these women, wherever they are listening, that your spirit would soften their hearts and that seeds of faith would be planted that would one day grow into oaks of righteousness, all for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In our last podcast, we talked about investing in our own spiritual growth with personal, purposeful, costly effort. Since all of chapter one is one big thought from Peter, listen as I read 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7 to remind us of the context for this week's passage. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This week's passage, then, will continue this thought, this thought of spiritual growth by giving us the result, a very persuasive result of spiritual growth. 
So let me read 1 Peter 1, 8 through 10 now. And if you're not driving, consider grabbing your Bible and following along in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 10. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Did you hear the word for in verse 8? This word for connects the command in verses 5 through 8, make every effort, and it continues this thought by giving us the result. So Peter is upping the urgency, increasing the intentionality of the command, make every effort, by giving us the result. And the result is that if, if these qualities, all the qualities in 5 through 7, if they are ours, and if they are increasing, we will be effective and fruitful in our Christian lives. I want to point out two things from this phrase. The first is that Peter says, if. Friends, think about it with me. Peter is writing to believers, and yet he still says, if. If these qualities are yours, he does not say because these qualities are yours, because you are so self-controlled, because you are steadfast, because your life is so godly, because you are so loving. He says, if. So we must ask ourselves the same thing. Do we have the qualities listed? Peter is not assuming that we are virtuous and self-controlled and steadfast. So neither must we assume. So take a moment and think through these qualities. Are you actually living them out? We went through them item by item in our last podcast. If you listened to that one, have you thought about these qualities since then? Have you made any intentional effort to grow in any area listed here? Secondly, Peter says we must increase in them. Listen to this. The word increase means to have more than enough to meet our needs. More than enough to meet our needs. So let's think about it together then. Do I have more than enough self-control to meet the needs of my daily conversations? Do I have more than enough brotherly or sisterly affection to live out life in my church? Do I have more than enough knowledge that I can practically apply this book to the problems in front of me? Am I increasing in my way that I use my free time in a morally excellent way? Am I increasing in the way I remain faithful and steadfast in the very mundane moments of my day? Am I increasing in the way that I love the person that is the hardest to love in my life? Peter says, if and increase. And then if we are displaying the qualities in an increasing way, we get the result that we will live fruitful and effective lives. Peter gives us the positive. We will be effective and fruitful by stating the negative, by stating that we will be kept from being ineffective and unfruitful. And friend, don't you want to be fruitful as a believer? 
This idea of a Christian bearing fruit is all through the New Testament. And the bottom line is that scripture expects Christians to bear fruit. We do not want to be idle, lazy workers wasting away our days, our weeks, our lives. We do not want to be idle or ineffective or unfruitful because, sisters, if we are lacking these virtues, if we are lacking growth in these virtues, we are not living lives that indicate, lives that display or validate our faith. In essence, if we are lacking growth in these qualities, we are not living a life that shows we are actually believers. This past week, I stumbled upon a newspaper article that discussed the sudden blinding dust storm that happened in Southern California almost two decades ago. It was the weekend after Thanksgiving, and a surprising and sudden dust storm trapped and injured hundreds of holiday travelers, killing 14 people as they all traveled home from the holiday. Witnesses and police officers would later describe this eerie scene in the moments right after the pileup where there were burning cars and trailers and smash trucks just scattered along the roadway. One survivor said everything was blacked out. Survivors described the thick, solid clouds of dust that quickly and seemingly out of nowhere swept across the highway. And because of this, hundreds of motorists and able to see their way, drove blindly straight into disaster. And that's our warning here, found in verse 9, that if we lack these qualities, we are so nearsighted that we are blind. Peter is saying, don't live in such a way that you are blindly driving your life straight into disaster. Don't live with spiritually short-sighted vision. Open your eyes, fix your eyes on eternity. And in doing so, you will live in such a way that you remember your past conversion, your past cleansing that you claimed. Don't be so blind that you are failing to see what you should see, that there is oh so much more to this life than that which is right in front of you. Don't let the dust storm of the tension and trials and to-dos of this world cloud your vision in such a way that you cannot see through them, through them to eternity. So when you respond in a way that is unforgiving and resentful, instead of growing in your affection for other believers, you are seeing only the situation right in front of you instead of your own previous forgiveness of sins. When you fail to practice your regular spiritual disciplines, growing your knowledge of God, you are seeing only the urgency of your to-do list instead of the beauty of the coming Christ. When you give in to the anxiety that overwhelms, you are seeing only the problems of your day instead of the provision of God. That's the warning here. Don't live with spiritual short sightedness. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to remember the past redemption, your future hope. Have a razor-like focus on eternity, which motivates your spiritual growth. And then, sisters, we get our compelling command in verse 10. Diligently confirm your salvation. 
diligently confirm your salvation. Verse 10 begins with therefore, and as usual, we ask, what is the therefore therefore? Well, it's because of verse 9, because there is a potential way of life where you are lacking these qualities, where you are not progressing in your spiritual growth. You are living blindly, forgetting your conversion claim, and thus you are not displaying any evidence that you have been genuinely converted. There is no visible fruit. Because there is potential to live like that, to have someone look at your life and wonder at your Christianity. Peter says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, to confirm your salvation that you claim. God's gift of grace in granting you faith and calling you his own should not lead to spiritual apathy, but spiritual intentionality. Work harder at growing in your faith to confirm your salvation. This is what one pastor says about these verses. He says the danger described in verses eight and nine is not the danger of slipping into the kingdom with no rewards. It's the danger of not being saved at all. When Peter says, be zealous to confirm your calling, he means that our lack of diligence in Christian graces may be a sign that we were never called and are not among the elect. Sisters, God calls the elect, the people that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his children. And we saw in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1 that the calling of God is performative and effective in our lives. When he calls your name, it works. You answer and you have no choice but to respond in repentance and faith before the God of the universe. When God calls your name, he creates and awakens faith in your heart that was a heart of stone and he he gives you a heart of flesh. The fact that Peter says to confirm your calling and election is just highlighting, it's magnifying the beautiful grace of God that loved us when we were still sinners and gave us the gift of salvation. He is the one who saves. But yet, as believers, we are to make this calling and election sure. We are to confirm, which means to validate or ratify. We are to confirm this salvation with the fruits of our lives. And as we concretely live out the qualities in verses 5 through 7, we provide evidence that we have new hearts. Matthew seven sixteen says, you will recognize them by their fruit. So friend, let's think together. In your last week, month, year of life, would your pattern of life give evidence of your calling and election, evidence of salvation? If someone looked at your level of godliness in your speech, would it look any different than a non-believer's? Does the way you treat your spouse reflect your conversion or would it simply mirror the messed up marriages of this world? Are your conversations with your coworkers becoming any kinder? Is your life over the long haul displaying any growth? When you think about your life from three or four years ago, do you think, oh man, I really should have handled that differently? 
I should have responded with so much more forgiveness or kindness or graciousness. I think that's part of what growth looks like. We're not staying in the same spot. We're not satisfied with our level of godliness. We are, in essence, living with a holy discontent. We're not satisfied with our level of sanctification. Peter gives us a couple of ways that we diligently confirm our salvation. We first confirm our salvation by practicing these qualities in verses 5 through 7. And don't you love that word practice? Sisters, there's not perfectionism here. There's practice. And this word practice in verse 10, it's in the present active tense. That means it's the over and over and over again daily habit of practice. The dictionary defines practice as this, to perform an activity repeatedly or regularly to improve on one's proficiency. And don't we need that practice? Goodness, my life needs that practice to perform something regularly and repeatedly enough to even slightly improve my proficiency at it. It's the practice of self-control of the every single thing that is so frustrating or so irritating and yet my emotions calm and kind and gentle in response until one day, hopefully sooner than later, I become better at it. I practice enough that the pattern of my heart begins to change. And sometimes practicing fails. We're going to be bad at it. I could practice gardening over and over and over again, I think, and yet I am still going to kill the plants I so desperately want to keep alive. We could practice growing in our sisterly affection 834 times before we feel like we genuinely love that person that is so hard to love. And there is grace and mercy to be found in failing. If we confess our sins, he is so faithful to forgive us our sins. And yet we still need to make the effort, all the effort to practice. And when we practice, we get this beautiful reward. Peter gives us in verse 11, this full circle, awe-inspiring moment. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you practice these qualities, friends, as you thus display the genuineness of your salvation, you know what's waiting for you? A richly provided entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And this word provided, it's the same word translated supplement in verse And remember what we said about that word, that in Greek culture, there were dramas and tragedies that had a chorus singing under it. And it was up to a private benefactor to provide financially for that chorus, to provide personally and sacrificially. And so we, we have had a private benefactor that has provided personally and sacrificially for our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We have had a private benefactor named Jesus Christ, and he paid for our entrance on the cross of Calvary. 
This is a picture of lavish provision by divine generosity, a lavish celebration of a faithful servant arriving home. And that is our eternal hope. That is the love with which Christ has loved us and the home that we are awaiting. And although this section drives the importance of human responsibility in displaying our salvation, it ends where it began with testifying to the grace of God. It's His divine power that fuels us and it's His lavish provision that will welcome us home. Let's finish this text with one last point. One other way that we diligently confirm our salvation is by reminding ourselves and others of truth. Listen, to verses 12 through 15 of chapter 1. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Do you hear those words? Remind, remember, recall. Peter is reminding those who know truth and are established in truth. He's reminding them of truth. So sister, if you would consider yourself fairly established in truth, listen a little bit harder here. This letter, this book, it's even and perhaps especially for you. Peter knows he's dying soon. He phrases it as the putting off of my body. And because of this, he wants to remind them of truth. And remind this word, it means to cause, to recall, and think about it again. To his dying day, Peter was concerned for the status of his saints, for their salvation, for the condition of these early churches, and he was going to tell them the truth over and over and over again until they got it. All through the Old Testament, all through scripture, we see this call to remember In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is on his deathbed. He knows that the people he had loved and he had led for so many years were on the brink of crossing into the promised land. And his heart echoed Peter's. He reminded the Israelites of truth. Listen to part of Moses' final words to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Moses says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. That's what Moses says. And if these Israelites were tempted to forget the things their eyes had seen, the people who had heard of the crossing on dry land with walls of water on either side, how much more are our hearts so very prone to wonder and prone to forget? Peter takes it one step further by saying he wants to stir them up by way of reminder. Stir up means to arouse or wake up. 
So Peter says, I'm giving you a reminder of truth that actually causes a change of life. It's as though when we tell our children, here's a reminder to brush your teeth before bed, we state that fact, but we tell them as a way to prod them to action. Thus, friends, we need to remind ourselves of truth in a way that prods us to action. We remind ourselves of truth out of Ephesians that every word we say should be beneficial to those who listen. And you remember it in a way that changes speech. You ought to remind yourself of the truth of your glorious future home you have waiting for you in a way that causes you to pray more for your unsaved friends. You remind yourself of truth that you are serving the Lord only in a way that causes you to do unseen service with a sacrificial heart. So friends, are you are you reminding yourself of truth? Let me say that you cannot remind yourself of truth if you are not reading truth. We must read truth to know it and then know it to be reminded of it. And this means we ask ourselves, are we positioning ourselves to hear truth? What's the loudest voice in your life? Is it the voice, the voice of Instagram? The voice of your daily schedule, the voice of your friends talking, is that a voice that will remind you of truth? Position your heart, orient your heart to hear truth. And then are you reminding your friends of truth? Do you have friends that are reminding you of truth? How many conversations do you have that you share scripture with each other? Are you pointing your friends to Christ? Are you pointing them to some other worldly ambition? Are you texting them scripture and asking how to pray for them? Are you gently shifting their gaze back to Christ as they share their frustrations and problems in their day? One of Peter's chief concerns was to remind these believers of truth. What's your chief concern in your relationships? Let's be these friends in each other's lives. Let's be women that regularly, repeatedly live out our salvation by reminding each other of the beauty of the God that called us, called us for the very first time, and the one day lavishly, gloriously call us home.